I'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 2. The Lord told the Lord told me to proclaim this message to everyone in Jerusalem. I remember how faithful you were when when you were young. When how you loved me when you were first married. You followed me through the desert, through the land, through a land that had not been sown. Israel, you belonged to me and to me alone. You were my, you were my sacred possession. I sent suffering and disaster on everyone who hurt you. The Lord have spoken. No other nation has ever changed its gods, even though they were not real. But my people have exchanged me and the God who has brought them honour. For gods have... Gods... Gods that have... Do, can do nothing for them. And so I command the sky to shake with horror, to be amazed and astonished, for my people have committed two sins. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. His voice is getting deeper every day. <laughs> I want to ask you this morning, where do you go in times of trouble? Last night, um, as we were going to bed, we were keeping in contact with my parents uh, who were over at Old Bar uh, as they were looking firstly at snow, that, uh, snow, smoke that was was rising over the hill and and then uh, later were, were looking at the flames that uh, that were coming up the hill uh, a few kilometers from where they are at Halliday Shores uh, they had a plan they knew that uh, that all the residents would be called down into uh, the um, the clubhouse, uh, the place where they were living. So Dad was going around in the minibus, picking up all the residents and, and bringing them down into one place. Uh, and they knew that there they would be safe. Uh, I saw on the, the news through the week as well, there's communities in Victoria that uh, uh, aren't uh, immediately threatened by bushfires, but they're practising as a community what we will do if bushfires come uh, to the area that is close to us. They know there's safety in community and there's safety in having a plan for the danger that may come. The Bible speaks to us about safety, not in community, although he speaks here through Jeremiah to a community of his people. What he is calling them to is communion. There is safety 
in, in remembering the relationship that you had with God. There is safety now in, in days where, uh, where you might just be going through the, the regular throes of life. Um, as you come into community with God, you don't have to fear the judgment that is to come. Sadly for Israel, they do have to fear that. And that's the difficult word that Jeremiah has to speak to them. This has been the message for you and you have rejected it. God is there and he's present for you if only you would call for him. But for those who reject him and continue in their rejection, there is no longer any hope. Let's pray as we open the word of God together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of the nations, that you are God of all creation, that you have made this world to be good, to be a, a place that sustains us in our needs. You've made this to be a, a place that showcases your glory, that we would call out to you, that we would know you and, and have relationship with you. And though we have turned against you, and though the world is going headlong into disaster, yet you have given us a way. So Lord, as we look to your word, Reveal to our eyes the word of God, Jesus Christ, your son, that we may look to you and have communion with you and not fear the judgment that is to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah begins in, uh, well, continues, begins for us in chapter 2, this message. Go and proclaim to Jerusalem Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in, a, in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Early in um, my courtship days with Alison, uh, the early days of our relationship, I took her on a trip out to Burke. I'd been out there and met some wonderful people and, uh, and come to love uh, that arid place. And, uh, and so as I met Alison and came to love her, I wanted to show to her some of the things that uh, had captured my attention and, and, uh, and my love and desire. And I suppose I wanted to show some of the people out there, the person who had captured my love and desire. I wonder what she thought on those long roads just through barren landscape that she'd got herself into. Or in those early years of our marriage when I said, you know, I think God's calling us out of Sydney. Uh, I, I want to take a, a, a teaching position in the bush. Um, I know it means coming away from, from your family and, and the places that we know. I wonder, did she wonder? I wonder if I made a mistake with this guy. There's much optimism early in a relationship, isn't there? Uh, there's much excitement even in things that that look like they're you know a bit um, plain and ordinary there is faith in the early days of a relationship that that looks at the landscape and says this is just the beginning God reminds Israel of those early days when they were together with him he'd rescued them out of Egypt and and while they'd come into the wilderness in a way they were free while they uh, were all alone among the nations of the earth, they had a God of their own. They weren't resting on, on the 
the practices of, of any nation around about them. They had heard of a God whose contract was simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And live lives that are good for one another. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. This is my contractual arrangement with you. What do you say? They declared, yes, we agree. We want you to be our God and, and we want to be your people. There was much optimism, excitement and faith. God had called a bride to himself and they were beginning a new life together. It was the wilderness, yes, but there was a promise of a land to come and much prosperity. Jeremiah's reminding the people of Judah of the early days, how it was God who called them, God who brought them out. And it was them who, who sought the Lord and knew him as their own God. So what happened to that communion that was described what happened to that love and that, that air of excitement? What happened to that faith? I want to skip ahead a few verses uh, to verse 26 where it's really described this rejection of the people of God. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests and their prophets, all of them, who say to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. We'll get to that final bit a little bit later. But these people who have been called by God, uh, known him in the, in the wilderness as the God who, who leads them on, who, who dwells with them, each time they stop, God's presence is there with them. He's, he's always been a God of relationship, always been a God of power. But now they are exchanging worship of the one true God to idols that they can bow down and worship. They cut a limb off a tree and, and shape it into something of their, their own image and likeness and say, you are my father, and they bow down to wooden idols. Or they get a stone and, and they carve it and, and say to it, you are our mother. And they bow down and worship that. God is saying, you have turned your back on me as your God. I showed you my face and you have just shown me your back. What will happen then in the days of your distress when you say, arise and help us? God will say, where are your gods? Where are the things that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your times of trouble. As for, for as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Every person has their own way of worshipping and their own God that they worship. What will happen in the days of trouble? We began our service with the words from Psalm 121. This is God's desire for his people. That when they face times of trouble, they would not look to the hills, but they would look to God. And they would cry out to God, come and help us. And God would be present with them in their days of trouble. But not this people. No, they have rejected him. 
and so there will be no help for them. Let's go back to verse 4. Why the rejection? Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What, what fault have I given you? As we look at this rejection of God and his people, we can't see that it's God rejecting his people and leaving them out in the lurch. God says, it is you who has rejected me, but I don't see why. What have I done that you would turn your back on me? Whenever you have called to me as the nations have come to, to steal your cattle or to steal your crops or to steal your wives, I've raised up the judges and we've sent them packing. Whenever there's been difficult times, you've called to me and I've sent rain upon the land. Whenever you've been in need and you've cried out to me, I've shown up time and time again. Even though straight after I show up and things get easy again, you turn your back on me. There hasn't been a time that you have cried for help and I've not been there for you. Why are you rejecting me? You've done it time and time and time again. You might know that when I was a boy, my mother used to read me a, a book, Are You My Mother? Where the mother bird go, leaves the nest and goes looking for food for her, her baby bird that's about to hatch. And then the baby bird hatches and thinks, oh, I can, I can go out on my own. And, and soon discovers that, well, there's a need in, it, in the baby bird's life. Uh, finds a dog. Are you my mother? No, says the dog. I'm a dog. Finds a cow, asks, are you my mother? No, says the cow, I'm a cow. Finds a thing, finds an aeroplane, finds a boat. None of these things are my mother. Finally meets a snort, which ends up being a wonderful story of salvation, I think. In the end, is returned to its nest and meets its mother. And there's that beautiful phrase, that says you're not a dog or a cat or a cow or a snort. You are a bird. And you are my mother. And I used to love my mother reading me that story because as the mother bird put her wing around her little chick, we would have a little cuddle before bed. God is saying, you belong to me. But you're going after all of these other gods that have nothing to do with you. You have rejected me, though I don't know why. The prophet continues. They did not say, where is the Lord? Oh, hang on. I asked Matthew to read verses 11 to 13. If you, if you missed that little jump from 3 to 11, I'm sorry, but God, God speaks of this rejection and says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are not gods? Like no other nation on the earth goes and changes its gods like that. That's what Israel's done. That's what Judah has done. No other nation on the earth changes its gods even though they're not gods. But my people have changed the glory that I have given them for that which does not profit. 
Be appalled, O heavens, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I was chatting with Matthew last night about what a cistern is. It's not something that we're very familiar with, but it's kind of like a well, but not one that's fed by a stream. So if you were to dig a big cave or a big hole in the ground, we actually talked about it like a rainwater tank that's not sitting on a slab out the back of the house, but one that's been dug and, and put into the ground. That's like a cistern. When it rains, the water's funneled into it, and so it fills with water, and it, become, it becomes a source of water in dry times. But only if it's complete. What God is saying is that you've got a cistern that's got a crack in it. So any water that goes into it flows out of it again. It's like trying to drink from a broken glass or, or a straw that's got a hole in it. You know, Every time you go looking for a drink, you're going to find that there's more water spilt on the table than you actually get into your mouth. Every time you, you go to dip the, the jar into the, the cistern in order to draw up water, you're just going to find that it's hitting the bottom because the water has fallen out the bottom. You are trusting in broken cisterns rather than in the source of living water. And there are two sins he describes, and I think these are described in verses 6 to 8. First, he says, the people, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of desert and pits, in a land of droughts and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. He describes the wilderness. There's no life there. But I brought you through that place and you didn't want for anything. I brought food from from the skies, I gave quails to feed you. I brought water out of the ground. You were walking day after day, but the soles of your feet, uh, your sandals, never wore out. I was there th with you through those dry and difficult times. But you do not say, where is the Lord? The people have forsaken the fountain of God. They've forgotten all about him. How it was him who saved them, him who was able to save in times of, of great difficulty. And verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the Lord did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. There are two sins. forsaking the fountain of, of living water and hewing out cisterns for themselves. The people have forgotten that it is God their salvation and their priests have forgotten to read the word of God. They have each turned their back on God and forgotten to seek him out. They forgot about the law, sorry, they forgot about the Lord and his law. What are the things being challenged in today's society? Not calling yourself a Christian. No one minds if you call yourself a Christian. But we forget our Christian heritage 
and instead persecute any who would say they believe in God? Call yourself a Christian, but I'll you know, have a go at you about believing in some big man in the sky. And they will prosecute those who speak from the word of God. You speak words from scripture in today's society, you will find yourself in law courts. We haven't got the patience for those who trust in a higher being and we haven't got any tolerance for those who speak words of truth. Our society has turned its back on God. I wonder, have we? Verse 14, God describes what his people were were at the beginning. What is their identity? Who are they really? Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become prey? The lions have roared against him. They've roared loudly. They've made this land a waste. Its cities are in ruins without inhabitant. This is not the Israel that I've, I've created. This is not my purpose for you. I created you to be sons in my household, to receive every blessing. That's your identity. This is what you were made for. But instead, the land is lying in waste. You had freedom and protection and provision. But what now? Let me give you these in summary and then we'll go through them. Now you will not be satisfied. Now you will not be clean. Now, well, you will not be ashamed. He's not saying that's a good thing. And now you will not repent. Let's look at them one by one. Verse 18. Now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? What do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about by going and drinking in those rivers? There, there's been times when the people have been under threat and they've, they've gone to Assyria and they've thought, our salvation will come from our strong neighbours on our, our right. And then there's been times that the enemies have come from Assyria. And so what have they done? They've gone down to Egypt and they've said, our strength will come from our neighbours down on the left. God's saying, when you face trouble, cry out to me. I am your defender. Go to that frenemy and you'll find them fickle. Go to the other one, you'll find just the same. Drink from their streams if you want, but you're going to find that water bitter. You will not be satisfied looking for hope among the strength of the nations. You will find your salvation only in me. Number two, you will not be clean, verse 20 and 22. Long ago I broke your yoke and burst your, your bonds, but you said... I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and in ev under every green tree you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed, 
How have you turned and become degenerate? How have you become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lyre and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. I broke your shackles in Egypt. I brought you into a land and, and gave you freedom. But you cast off that freedom. Well, actually, you used that freedom as, as license to do whatever you like. And you did that under every tree. You bowed down to every idol. You, you worshipped anything that could be seen. Anything that you thought might, might give you what you wanted, that's what you sought after. How did we go from, from being such a, having such a good start to, to now being something of, of little value to anyone? And what of your sin? Wash yourself with soap if you like, but there's no way that you can remove this. You will not be clean. And what will you say? Verse 23. I am not unclean. So while you can't wash the stain off, still declaring, I'm not unclean. I've not gone after Baals. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless camel running here and there. Well, I'm not going to go into that analogy. You can read that in your own time. But it describes a people who will just abandon themselves, their dignity, their loyalty, and call what is evil good. Say what is corrupt they are innocent of. You will not be ashamed, that God says of them. Not that you won't do anything that you should be ashamed of, but but you will not acknowledge even that the things that you're doing are things that you should not be doing. And so, of course, it means when it comes to repentance, you will not do that either. Verse 34, I'm skipping ahead a little. On your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. You did not find them breaking in, yet in spite of all these things you say, I'm innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. Behold, I will bring to you to judgment for saying that I have not sinned. How much you go about changing away. You shall be put to shame by Egypt. You shall be put to, uh, as you were, put to shame by Assyria. There's a refusal of those who declare their own innocence to accept that there might be a judgment to come. But God says, you must repent. You must see your sin as sin. Or you will not be satisfied. You will not be clean. You will continue in your shame. Let's reflect on some of those things in all of Scripture. In John 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well. A woman who knows the shame in her life. She's there on her own in the middle of the day. And Jesus speaks these words to her. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will be like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Just like Judah in those days was looking for 
for salvation through the other nations, drinking from their rivers. Jesus acknowledges that there are days in our lives where we go looking for answers to our problems. But none of those answers seem to really solve the problem. When Jesus says to the woman, I will give you living water, she cries out for it and says, great, give it to me. Then I won't have to come out to this well in the middle of the day, day after day. I'm so sick and tired of it. I'm trying to fix my problems, but I can't do it on my own. She hears the word from Jesus. I can give you something, living water that wells up to eternal life. To those who would not be satisfied, Jesus offers satisfaction. To those who would not be clean, God offers cleanliness. Psalm 51 says, and this is David crying out at a time when the whole nation knew of his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. See, he's not, he's not trying to rub the blood off his hands. He's just bringing his sin to God and saying, You wash me, for my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Later he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That's what the forgiveness of God does for us. It's not just another way to try and cover over sin. It pulls it out from under the carpet and does away with it completely. Washes it clean. Takes those Garments that are stained with sin and gives us robes of righteousness so that we can be clean and not be ashamed. We can be confident. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will, will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will come into calamity. Hide your sin and it doesn't get dealt with. Reveal your sin. Confess it before the Lord and you receive mercy. Don't say there's nothing I need to be ashamed of while harboring things in your heart. Confess them to the Lord and you will truly be able to say, there's nothing I need to be ashamed of. God has written it off. He's paid, for, paid that debt. It's no longer one that I have to carry. A prophet like Jeremiah will say these words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now is the time of salvation. These are the days of grace when God has given us the message of Christ, his son, who takes away the sin of the world. 
not every sin from every person. His death was sufficient for that. But those who confess their sins before him, that sin is taken away. That opportunity will not be forever. Death takes it away. The coming of Christ will take it away. You don't know the days of your life. You don't know the day of his return. Today is the day of grace. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And remember who the Lord is. Verse 32, Jeremiah says, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Remember the goodness of God. Maybe it was days of your childhood where, where you just knew God and, and enjoyed him and rejoiced in him. Remember those days. Maybe as an adult you, you gave your life to God. And in those first few days it was, it was simple for you. The blessings of God, they just poured over you. But somehow something has taken your focus in the days that have gone by. Sometimes it serves the soul to open an old photo album and remember the good old days. Open the word of God again. Remember the Lord's instruction and remember his love for you. Honour him in the days of peace and you will not find him abandon you in days of trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings of this day. We acknowledge those things that are heavy on our hearts. The burdens that we have in our life, the griefs that we are carrying heavily. But Lord, none of these compare to the danger of losing all before you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would remember you. Remember you as the God who you are, a God of love, a God of faithfulness, a God of generous provision, a God who never leaves us, a God who never sleeps. We forget these things when we turn from your word. We forget these things when we enjoy what the world seems to be enjoying. And maybe we've forgotten you today. Lord, turn our hearts that we would remember your goodness and return to you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his loving gift to us, taking away all of our sins and giving us his righteousness that we would walk with heads held high as sons and daughters of the King. We know your word is true, Lord. Open our ears that we would receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.